Hey everyone, my name is Daniel Stegman. I'm the pastor of Pine Glen Alliance Church in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, and this is the Before You Quit podcast. And today, I'm obviously a guest host on this program. I'm going to be interviewing the real host of Before You Quit, and that is Mitch Schultz. Uh, Now, a couple months ago, I interviewed Mitch, and the subject was his life story. We talked about his biography, and it was fascinating. It was fun for me to to listen and learn from him. Um, And today, we're going to kind of continue on that same vein. We're going to talk about ways in which Christians can minister to those who are grieving. And one of the things that we didn't really get into in that interview uh, was the loss of his 13-year-old son, Travis. And that was by design, because I knew that's a big subject. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about a lot today. We're going to talk about how we can minister to those who have suffered loss. So that it, it's a big focus on grief ministry here in this pod, podcast. So I want to welcome you, Mitch, to this <laughs> podcast. And, and thanks for allowing yeah, me hey, to Dan. do this, by the way. Absolutely. Well, you, you and I, I, I hope you're okay with me sharing this, that you and I are talking about co-hosting more and, uh, and having you in uh, conversations as we're interviewing people and, and uh, sometimes just you and me uh, talking about some subjects that are uh, perhaps heavy on our heart or interesting to us or might be of interest to others. So um, I, I just love doing this with you. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming up with the idea. And uh, I'm looking forward to today. Mm. Thank you, Mitch. Appreciate that. Well, obviously, death is all around us. Uh, We're touched by death, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly. Uh, But it's all around us. We can't escape it. And as the body of Christ, one of the things that we're convinced of is that we can't just go through this alone. We we don't want Mm -hmm. to grieve in isolation. And that's the power of the body of Christ. And one of the things that um, is so clear from your life story is that you've been touched by this in very direct ways. Uh, You've been a pastor for over 30 years, so you've ministered to a lot of people who are grieving. Uh, You've actually written a book on this subject. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, And even your current ministry, Fruitful Vine Ministry, uh, it ministers to those who are grieving in different ways. So I guess the, the way that I want to start this off is to, to take us back to 1998. I know that's 25 years ago now, but take us through your wife's health crisis, all that she went through when you were still in England, uh, and then your son, Travis, and, and his brain tumor. Uh, just kind of take us through all that. Yeah. I know there's a lot to share, but I'd yeah, love to no, hear certainly. that. And I, yeah, and I've, I've learned to tell the story in a, in a brief way, uh, having told it many times. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting when you say 25 years ago, the, the, um, the emotions and memories are so, so fresh and real. And uh, I, I will sometimes just sit back and just reflect on, on very specific moments surrounding uh, you know, what, what happened to us, but we were, we were workers with the Alliance in England, uh, from, from 92 to 98. 
And we were just uh, months shy of coming back for what we call our home assignment. And it was going to be a whole year. And, uh, and I would, of course, be traveling around the country speaking at churches. So, so everything by May of 98, everything just seemed normal. We were wrapping things up and we were going to live here in Toccoa, Georgia and go back to England in some other capacity. I've been pastoring a church there. Well, we had an opportunity to travel to Germany uh, with the view of, of possibly sending our oldest son, Travis, to boarding school there. Uh, but honestly, I, I wasn't serious about doing it, uh, but we still wanted to be open to it. And, and also the alliance covered the, the cost for us to check a school. And so we thought, well, let's let's do that, make a vacation out of it. And uh, for for about a year, Elaine had been complaining about dizziness and uh, just, uh, you know, not feeling well, nausea. She went to see quite a few doctors or, or her doctor quite a few times. And, uh, you know, no one seemed to take it seriously at her age. She was in her early thirties and, and like, you know, there, there shouldn't be anything too serious. Uh, but when we were in Germany, she started to throw up and, uh, those symptoms became much more extreme. And there was one night I was very concerned and we called a doctor in Germany and the doctor came and looked at her and her eyes were not dilating, dilating well. And uh, she I remember her saying, well, maybe maybe you should go in the hospital. Well, maybe not. And uh, and then she also concluded there might be just a tooth abscess because uh, Elaine had been complaining of, of that. And. And so we decided just to keep with our planned travels. We were going to go to Paris and stay with some friends. And then Belgium, where my grandmother lived, she's Belgium. And my parents were there, had flown from the States. My sister had flown to Malaysia. And um, in Paris, we saw two doctors, uh, you know, same minimal level of concern. But by the time we got to Belgium, this great family reunion with my grandma within a half hour, it just was obvious that Elaine was really seriously struggling. And if, if I, if I had to do all over again, I would just rush her to the hospital. Um, and that's one of the things I kicked myself over a lot and uh, decided to just drive back to England, which was an 11 hour trip. And by the time we got to England, she was, she was in a coma. In fact, most of the way she was just slumped against the passenger door and, uh, she was rushed to the hospital. They scanned her, found she had a mass on her brain. Uh, they rushed her to Liverpool, and there they had surgery and, and indicated that 20 minutes later she would not have survived. Hmm. And, wow. um, and she, uh, she was in a coma for a good month, uh, ended up getting an abscess, uh, the MRSA bug, uh, super bug, which is a, a horrible infection. And especially on the brain. And I, I think a lot of the damage she incurred happened because of that, uh, not just the surgery. And she also had a stroke during that time. But, uh, but a month or two in, she, you know, she was starting to wake up. And we noticed that she had lost all of her language abilities, comprehension. And uh, she, she was very confused, very disoriented. And uh, we were able to bring her home. And our, our trip back to the States was delayed by... Uh, about a month and we landed here at Tacoa and I started thinking, well, you know, this is going to be a recovery period. And Elaine started getting speech therapy, began to put some words together. And at that point started to remember who she was and who, you know, significant people in her life were. 
but it was two weeks into that that Travis, who was who was 12 at that time, started to lose his balance. And uh, he was an avid soccer player. And I, I just saw him not trapping the ball. And and uh, so he was checked out with a doctor, hospitalized. And a few days later, the pediatrician said, we've got to take him to Gainesville. And there they scanned him, did an MRI, found that he had a brain tumor as well. And his was on the brain stem, which uh, the doctor uh, told us right away that's inoperable. In fact, I remember the doctor, Dr. Phillips, the surgeon, mm -hmm. uh, kneeled down to where Travis was sitting and, and told Travis what he had and, and told Travis the prognosis that, you know, you're not going to live from this. Um, we will do radiation, which they did. And that gave him a few additional good months. And, um, and even during that time, he was able to go back to play soccer. And, um, and it was an exciting time, even though we knew that he was not going to live, uh, just to see him restored. And um, I mean, I remember in one game, he scored seven goals and the, the wow. coach said, man, we got to take you. We got to take you out. That's not fair to the other team. <laughs> so, uh, but then in June of 99, uh, we had just come back from council our, our uh, annual council at that time, which was in Portland. And the day I, I woke up that next morning and he walked towards me down the hallway and I noticed that his, uh, his balance was off again. And, and uh, so we knew that the, you know, the tumor was growing again. And, uh, and so he lived a couple months, just declined very rapidly. And um, on August 22nd, he, uh, he passed away. My wife and I were sleeping in the living room. Uh, he'd been in a coma for about a week and uh, ended up passing away. And, and uh, uh, that, was, that was our personal encounter with death and uh, very, wow. very surreal. It was two o'clock in the morning uh, to see your own child being taken off, taken away by men on a, you know, on a, on a gurney and realizing you're never going to see his physical body again, uh, you know, outside of, on this side of the resurrection, our resurrection. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we, we were able to stay uh, uh, on medical leave with the mission for a couple of years. They were so kind to let us do that. And then uh, realized we could not go back overseas. We were too fragile and my wife was not doing yeah. well enough. And so we, uh, we ended up, you know, starting in 2001, uh, doing ministry in the States. Wow. So that's our story in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, maybe take us through the, the emotional roller coaster. Like, like from my perspective, I'm hearing that, that story and it, it's so tragic, but at the same time, you know, praise God that your wife, mm -hmm. Elaine, she's still with you. God healed her. Um, but you have to, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, um, thank you for, you know, healing my wife or starting the process of healing. Mm -hmm. uh, we've went through enough suffering for 10 years or, or, or a lifetime. And that's the human side, of course. But then your son gets sick after that. T take us through the, the emotional mm -hmm. roller coaster and, and how you survived all that. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to reflect back and try to remember what you were experiencing back then. And and when people ask me this question, I try not to project myself now back to that time. And uh, but I think I can honestly say that um, 
Yeah, it was it was extremely hard. There were moments of of real despair and uncertainty. Um, but I remember more the, the the need to be strong for my kids. You know, we had two other kids, have two other children. Um, Elaine needed a lot of help. And in fact, Travis, when he had to be in the hospital, I had to stay home with Elaine because she could not be left alone. And, um, and I remember uh, just a, an overwhelming sense of peace, uh, sense of responsibility. Um, I mean, yeah, there were, there were moments where it was anguishing, but uh, you know, I, I tell people I, I, I miss that sense of peace that I had uh, with myself and, and with the Lord. I mean, when you're, when you're facing something like that, uh, you know, your car battery means nothing, you know, your, right. Your lock key in the car means nothing. And you're, you're not anxious about the daily stuff because you got this big thing going on. And, um, and so your, your sense of the transcendent is just so, so clear, so real um, but I actually missed that time. You know, I, I wish I could have continued caring that, you know. Uh, so there was a, there was a balance of caring that grief, but also having a, a tremendous level of peace, which, uh, you know, which I know came from the Lord and it was his yeah. comfort, his strengthening. Um, uh, but, but it also came again, to repeat what I said, that it came with a that I needed to be strong for my family. And if I, if I buckled now, it's not going to be good for, for anybody else. Yeah. Okay. It, that made me think of your book, surviving the fires of sorrow. That's kind of like mm-hmm. you're j- journaling through the whole yeah, journey. That's the whole story. Yeah. And it's very, very powerful. Um, so if any of the listeners are interested, they can purchase that book online. Um, but just one more question before we segue into s- some practical ways that that we can minister to those who are grieving. And, and that is um, you didn't go through this alone. I mean, you were mm. way over in Europe, uh, but you had a church family over there. And, and maybe could you share about how um, the body of Christ rallied around you and your family? Yeah. 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 Again, I was pastoring in England when this happened. And uh, these are people we love dearly and and they loved us. And uh, it it was it was hard for them, many of them, because we you know, we we did not have a a sense of closure of saying goodbye and, uh, you know, celebrate what the Lord had done in our ministry there. So. So that part was hard, but, um, you know, I, I resigned right away as in my role as pastoring and, you know, would continue attending and our kids were obviously involved in the, in the programs there. Uh, but this is really interesting. We, we probably got as much support from, from people who were not believers. Uh, wow. we had, we had a lady, we had a lady who, uh, we were very, very good friends with who did not, uh, I mean, we witnessed a lot, shared a lot about with her with about the gospel, but uh, never responded to it. Was close to it, and and she would come and do our laundry a couple of days a week, and people would bring meals. And so our community was not just the church; it was it was people that we had loved and uh, and shown love to, and had built relationships with that, that had come around us. Uh, but yeah, the the I, I'm. 
I'm a person that needs people. I need friends in my life. And, um, uh, you know, I, there's a, there's a couple that we, we know who have a family member right now, the mom is dying. Like she only has weeks to live and they're not going to tell the kids, um, until it happens. And, and we're just like, that's horrible. They're, they're going to be traumatized. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have to, you have to face this and put it, your grief out there because people need to love you and support you. And uh, so I, I cannot imagine doing that, but we, you know, we had to move and come back to the States and <clears throat> because of particularly because of Travis situation, you know, you've got Tacoma Falls College here. You have uh, churches that, uh, uh, you know, we know a lot of people or knew a lot of people in the churches here. And, and uh, you know, our story was very well known in Tacoma because of, you know, a 12-year-old boy, uh, you know, with brain cancer dying. His mom just had something similar happen. You know, that's a unique thing. So we, we were cushioned by by the love of and support of people. I remember a guy knocking on our door and for the next 20 minutes, his whole family brought groceries into our house and we did not wow. even know them. <laughs> wow. You know, so, well, and you so were, yeah, that uh, you were interviewed or not, not interviewed, but didn't Michael W. Smith call you to uh, when, when Travis was dying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah someone had that. set that up and, yeah. And, uh, and Travis took the phone, but he could no longer talk. So I told Michael, uh, he was in Hawaii on vacation. Um, and also the newsboys, uh, were doing a concert here in Tacoa the night that he died and they, mm-hmm. they came and visited him for, for about an hour. Uh, wow. so yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, just amazing sense of, of, uh, of community that, uh, that, that was so helpful in times like this. Well, praise God. I think it was last week our family was was watching the movie Courageous. You know that movie, um, mm-hmm. the Kendrick mm-hmm. Brothers, and it probably goes back a decade. But there's there's this powerful scene. I think it's the uh, the daughter. She was killed tragically. She was hit by a car, mm-hmm. and and the son is. I mean, the whole family is really suffering. But the son. Uh, he says something along the lines of this to his dad. His dad comes into his room and says, everyone's saying the same things and none of it helps. And I, that, that line just mm. hit me because I'm, I'm sure there's so many people that can relate to that. Uh, people say things, but it, it doesn't really resonate, doesn't really help. But at the same time, I was thinking, at least they're trying. At, at least they're yeah. trying. At least they're their a presence. And I wonder if you could just share about the, the power of presence, the importance of presence. I mean, we can, we can send a card, we can send a text or an email. That's important. But why is it so important for brothers and sisters in the faith to, to be there for the person who's grieving? Yeah, I, you know, it's a time where people uh, should not be alone. Uh, interestingly, they want to be, you know, sometimes when you lose someone or a lot of times, I think you want to be left alone. And, uh, and there's, there's, there's periods where we need to respect that. And there, I think we're going to talk about that a little later too, that there needs to be a lot of discernment on, on the timing and, and uh, having a clear understanding of what the needs are of people. Um, But, um, you know, when, when Jesus came to, 
see Lazarus, uh, I think it says there with, with Mary and Martha that others were there comforting them. And, and then Jesus shows up and, and does the amazing miracle of raising Lazarus to, to back to life. Um, I mean, anything short of a resurrection is, is not enough. You know, um, yeah. so even uh, even people's presence during time of grief gives encouragement and courage to keep going. It, it, you can never take away, replace that loss. You can never take away that sense of loss. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't do what we can. And I know that we're going to get more specific in in, in talking about this. Um, I mean, when when Elaine was being we had surgery. Uh, there was a, our, our field director uh, drove all the way from Oxford and just sat with me for like seven, eight hours. We didn't say wow. a word the entire time. And um, I mean, literally, we did not talk. But I always remember that Larry Carey was there in the hospital waiting room with me, uh, knowing he could say nothing, but just being there with me. Uh, was was amazing did you ever feel like you you just needed to be alone there was so many people that yeah. were there and you just needed yeah. to be by yourself yeah um and and and, and you know I, I always feel bad about this with him I wanted him to I just I just want to be alone and I think I told him at some point um but he say, he stayed anyway, you know, because he and I needed that because I was completely on my own. No one, no one else was there. Um, but yeah, I think but people respect that. Um, you know, if you say to them like, hey, we need our family needs this time alone right now. Uh, thanks so much for, for visiting. I, I, I believe people understand that. And 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 some of the things we're going to talk about, you know, we'll we'll discuss the timing, the needs and level of involvement that, that will come at, come at different stages. You know, what's needed during the three days around the funeral is a lot different than what's needed three months later. Uh, you know, there's, you need meals, you need help with arrangements, you need financial help when there's a death and, and, you know, the, the family's in shock and, and um, there are certain things that you, you need to be doing for them during that time. That's going to be a lot different than what they need months down the road. But that's usually when people are neglected, when they need people the most. Okay. Because people feel like they're doing the most during the funeral. It's like, you know, we were there for them. Um, and I think we talk about that later, that that's, you know, they're, they're still numb. You know, yeah. it's like your tooth is being worked on when you're under anesthesia. It's when it wears off that you really feel the pain. And when, when the grieving is worn off, that's when the support is most needed. Yeah. So your book that I mentioned earlier, it's called, Did I Say the Right Thing? Responding Well to Those Who Grieve. And it's a short little book, very readable, very practical. And I love the title in the first chapter. It's called Crush the Eggshells. Mm -hmm. And kind of the, the concept is break the silence, uh, say something. And I, I think that's a, a, a big problem with uh, grief ministries. We just don't know what to say. And and maybe help us understand what are some some good questions that can be asked in order to, to break the silence. Yeah, yeah. It's it when you say it was a short booklet, I read it again yesterday in about a half hour. 
because uh, I wanted to be prepared for this. I haven't read this in so long, and it's my book. And I was telling you jokingly that, man, I was really encouraged reading this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but these are, you know, you know, there's when you don't know what to say, um, then learn what to say, you know, equip yourself. And that was the purpose of me writing this book. So people are, are equipped, educated and 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 have wisdom and discernment on, on what to say. Um, but I, I have egg crushers here. There's probably 10 or 11. Do you want me to read, just read some of those? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so again, this is, the, you know, I, I stated earlier that uh, sometimes the greatest need for support happens weeks, months afterwards. Um, but you can contact someone and say, hey, it's been a month since you lost, you know, your, your husband. Uh, what's been the hardest thing for you? Uh, you know, very intentional questions. Uh, what was la- what was the last week like for you? Um, have you been to the grave this week? Was it difficult? May I go with you next time? I mean, how often do people say that? Uh, you know, my wife, our son is buried here in Tacoa, and she always has friends that go with her there. And I know that's a great encouragement to her. Um, are there times when you find yourself thinking about other things, or is he always on your mind? Uh, when you think of him, how do you remember him? And tell me some of the qualities you love most about him. What do you miss the most about him? And, uh, and you notice they're, they're questions that solicit uh, a response that is more than just yes, no. You know, hey, are you okay today? Yeah, I'm okay today. Uh, you know, asking questions that are not yes or no questions are, I, I think the best kind of questions um, that, that you can ask people. Um, so, yeah, there's a shyness around death. You know, we, we, we don't know what to say. Um, and I mentioned in the book, too, that there's, there's two things that keep us from expressing comfort to people is we don't know what to say. And also, if we do say something, we might have to stick around uh, right. for the answer. You know, it's what Jay Adams calls total involvement, that if you're going to minister to someone, be willing to stand there and, and hear the answer. You know, um, I, I, I remember when I, growing up as a missionary kid, I was in the States at a camp and some, uh, one of the, the counselors said, hey, where are you from? I said, oh, I grew up in Papua. He goes, oh, so cool. I'll need to hear about that sometime. And I stood there as like, well, right now would have been great, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so being, you know, p- part of the egg crushing thing is to, is, is to enter into a space with a grieving person and, um, and, and being able to sacrifice your time, your involvement, uh, some painful things, sometimes repetitive things. And, uh, and it's not easy to do. I mean, when I was pastoring, uh, you know, I, I, I was, sometimes I needed to be somewhere else. If someone was unloading on me, their grief, I, I realized I, I need to stay here. They need me right now. So, yeah. so that's the idea behind that. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a big investment. I mean, we're, we're all busy. Yes. I hear that all the time. Good and, word. And, and we are busy. I mean, it's a lot of times we're busy with things that we shouldn't be busy with, mm-hmm. but, but we have to be willing to invest ourselves in the life of, or the lives of those who are grieving. And so yeah. 
maybe to to a person who they've they've suffered the loss of a child or a spouse, a, a loved one, and uh, you're you want to come alongside of them, but it's it's been a couple months. You've uh, been busy with your own life. Is it too late to to care for them and to minister to them? Well, I go back to the fact that sometimes the need is greatest later on. You know, it's it's logical to be there around the funeral time. You know, during during the crisis and, and to feel like yeah, I was there for them. But um, you know, three four weeks after a, a loss. Most people go back to their lives. Most people mm-hmm. are not thinking about you and your loss that much. And, um, and so I, I write in the book to let, let your regret be your motivation to help now. Uh, you know, it's never, I have a chapter in the booklet, it's never too late. And, uh, and if you realize you were not there for someone, that means you're the person now to, to reach out and, and to minister to them. And um, and I, I have the luxury of having people like that, you know, who maybe could not get to the funeral, but they came some months later. We had two or three families from England that came, uh, you know, within a year after the funeral uh, just to spend time with us. And that, that was hugely encouraging. So what is what is good follow up look like? I mean, I, I think you talked about it earlier. There's there's certainly stages of grief and. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into that, but the, the need at the beginning is is not going to be the same as it is two months later or six months later. Um, what would you say were some some things that that really were helpful to you and, and to your family, comforting uh, following Travis's death? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have uh, my sister-in-law, uh, Judy Schultz my brother's wife, uh, never misses an anniversary. And, um, and, you know, my sister also lost her husband to cancer mm-hmm. and she married a guy whose wife had died of cancer. Uh, and, and, and strangely enough, we were already related to that guy through another way. It, it's <laughs> fascinating. Our, our family has that, uh, on several levels. It's really funny. Um, but she never misses an anniversary. You know, I, I, it's almost like I expect to get a note, an email, a text. Um, I have a friend in Wisconsin who on every anniversary, there's a card with Bible verses, uh, you know, phone calls, uh, you know, um, a hug from, you know, you see someone, you know, that they're, it's their, the end. I, I try to write down in my, on my phone, on my calendar, uh, the anniversaries of, of someone's, you know, someone I'm close to the death of, you know, the date that that person died and I'll, I'll, I'll either call or, or send a little message. And that that's huge. You know, there's small things, but it's really huge. Uh, Cause those are hard days. The anniversaries especially are, are really hard days. Um, so I would say don't minimize anything that they can, it can be the smallest thing, but it can also be, be huge. It can be really helpful. You know, Jesus wept at Lazarus's tumor, a uh, t- uh, uh, tomb, tomb, and that, yeah, that tumor. <laughs> We're talking <laughs> about tumors. Uh, his grave, and uh, you know, that was that was a small thing. He just wept. Uh, the, you know, shortest Bible verse in 
in the Bible. My, my granddaughter gets free candy every Wednesday at Awana because she, she brings that verse to the teacher, <laughs> but it's a great verse. Jesus wept. It was simple. Yeah. <laughs> could, could you tell us more about the ministry of Jesus? Uh, one of the things that I sometimes tell our people is that when it comes to the Christian life, we have that example. We have that model. Jesus mm-hmm. is the object of our faith, but he's also the example for our faith. So when we, when we look at the ministry of Jesus, uh, we see someone who is full of compassion, full of love. Uh, what are some things that we can learn from our Lord and, and how he ministered to, to people and, and to those who are grieving maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And imagine he's the one who, who came to defeat death. Yeah. You know, he, he's the one who, who came to, uh, to die himself, uh, you know, so that we ultimately are free of this, of this curse of death. So, uh, and the reason I bring that up is I, I think death had an impact on him in a much more profound way than it ever does for us. You know, um, you see his humanity. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, yes. that he wept, um, that tells us that the death is not normal. Death is evil. Mm-hmm. So you see his, his, not just his compassion, but, but his empathy and, and his humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I know we, you know, we'll probably talk about uh, avoiding cliches, but Jesus, uh, maybe because of who he was, he could say these things, but he, you know, he's not dead. He's just sleeping. Um, you know, it's almost like saying, Hey, he's in a better place, you know? Um, but he was very intentional in how, how he spoke about death. Um, you know, I wrote a couple of things here that the, the, the gospel was always on his mind whenever he saw mm-hmm. someone die, you know, he was reminded of why he came and what he would do himself on the cross to, to defeat that. So, I mean, if you study Jesus and, and, and I've not done this, it'd be, I think a great little thing to, it wouldn't be a long study, but just to look at specifically, what did Jesus say? How did he say things when he was in the presence of death? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I think I'm accurate that the, he talked about the gospel. He talked about, you know, what's next. And uh, he talked about himself and why he came. And, uh, and I think that gives us a model of how, how we speak to people who are, who are going through grief. Uh, but we got to work through the cliche stuff, you know, there's, there's, uh, and I know we'll be talking about that. Yeah. One of the verses you quote uh, is Hebrews 2.18. It says this, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Uh, so mm-hmm. we see there, Jesus was not immune from suffering. I mean, he gave his life as a ransom for many. Um, so we, we, we have this Savior who is full of compassion, full of empathy. And, and again, we need to look to him. Maybe kind of branching yeah, and, and, out and one, that. Yeah one, yeah, one more thing with that. I, I sure. mean, think of how profound this is. He when he stood before, you know, the, the, the boy or the girl who had died or Lazarus and, and the many other references to raising people from the death, from death, or, you know, he was there in, in their presence. He, he created those people. He made them. 
uh, he's the one who gave them life. And if we, if we see people in that light that they are, you know, created in God's image, they were given this life and, and that life has been taken away. That's, mm-hmm. that's, um, that's heavy, you know, um, it's, it's tragic. Uh, but he came, the one who gave life and that life was taken away because of sin, because of the devil. Uh, he came and promised hope and he was that hope. And so when he, when he raised people, when he raised people from the dead, he was, he was saying, I've come here uh, to do this for all of you. If you'll put your trust in me, if you'll look to me. Amen. Yeah. Maybe could you talk about the the power of scripture? Um, If we're going to do grief ministry, um, we don't want to just go with our own words. I mean, not, not that that's bad necessarily, Mm -hmm. but, but there's a lot of times where we just don't know what to say. Uh, words fail us. Um, but we have this, this book, we have this word from God and, and that's a great way to, to minister to those who are grieving. Could, could you just share maybe how, um, that has been impactful for you or how you've been able to, to utilize the scriptures in your own ministry? Yeah. Uh, Proverbs fifteen twenty three talks about a fitly word spoken and the and I, I believe what he means there is, is speaking in a word that fits. And in the booklet, I also talk about the parable of the sower, you know, scattering seed on, on four different kinds of grounds. And, and so when we give scripture to people as a, a means of encouraging them, we really need to discern who they are, where they are in their relationship with Christ. If they're not a believer, uh, you're you're going to give different words of encouragement, you know, through scripture. If the person who died was not a believer, you're, you're not going to read scripture about the promise that they're in heaven. Uh, you know, so there's a, there's a greater burden to be, you know, extremely careful. Um, but the, you know, this, the seed is the word of God. And when it lands on fertile soil, and I, I argue that that soil is most fertile uh, when someone's been impacted by death, we saw this in England. Funerals were the greatest opportunities to present the gospel, mm. and and we saw people. I I I baptized an eighty year old woman who who came to faith after her husband died, and and it was because of the message that was given during the funeral. And she started coming to church. We discipled her. We baptized her. Um, so yeah, being being judicial. Uh, being intentional, uh, knowing how much seed to scatter, depending on what yeah. that soil is like, is uh, is critical. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, and and I say that to not discourage the offering of scripture. Uh, I I don't think you can go wrong, you know. Yeah. Uh, but don't but don't don't say don't don't give false promises, you know. Don't don't offer promises God never made. Yeah. You know, like like the, the kids in a better place because he's in heaven. Yeah, that's true. And you can give scripture, but the soil of that person's heart is they'd rather that person be with them. Yeah. Uh, they're going to argue with God. If God says, oh, it's better that Travis is with me. I'm like, no, God, I, I think it was better that he was with me. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so so you, you have you have to be extremely discerning. 
Yeah. So we, we need to be thoughtful in, in what we say. And, and I think if I hear you right, we, we want to, one of the ways we can do that is, is not always to try and give an explanation as to what yes. God was doing or how this is going to advance the kingdom. Um, so there's a lot of really unhelpful things that, that people can say. They have good intentions. They want to comfort the bereaved. Um, but then they end up saying things that, that are just cliche-ish and, and yeah. not really thoughtful, not really helpful. So maybe could you speak to that a little? Yeah, and they, can, they could even be true. Uh, you know, my, my, my son Travis' story was, was shared at a revival in South America and uh, apparently we were told, you know, dozens of kids came to Christ. And, um, and that was encouraging. But I remember being cynical that I would have rather him grown up to be a, an evangelist, to preach the gospel, and yeah. to see people come to Christ. And, and Travis didn't give his life for people to come to Christ. I, I theologically cynical on that issue that only one person died for people to come to Christ, and that's Jesus himself. Great point. Uh, my son's death was not what led people to Christ. The story of the gospel that he clung to, that he loved so much, is what has had an impact. You know, two weeks after he died, a girl by the name of Ashley, who was a good friend of Travis's, gave her heart to Christ and was baptized. And she still lives in town here. Every time Elaine sees her, she just gives her a big hug and they talk about Travis, mm. you know? So, um, so yeah, well, your, your question about what is, what is not helpful, right? Um, That's it. Yeah. Or some of the unhelpful things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me, let me read. Uh, there's, there's something C.S. Lewis says. I'm just going to find this in, in the book here. And by the way, were you going to talk about some of the things like uh, twirling keys in your hands and stuff like that? <laughs> a, a, yeah. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. C.S. Yeah. Lewis says, don't talk to me about the consolation of religion or I shall suspect that you do not understand. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So twirling keys in your hand or in your pocket <laughs> You talk about that in, in the book, and, and the idea is we're there, we're going to put in our time, uh, but don't expect us to stay too long. Or, or maybe they didn't even take, maybe yeah. the, the car's still running, the keys are still in the car, and, yeah. and they're ready for that quick getaway. They, so they want to help, but, but they don't want to stay long. Yeah, um, and this is where overlapping England and the States during all of this we saw a huge difference, and I, I know I'm going to be a little anti-American right here, but I, I think the Brits have something that we don't because we're too rushed, we're too busy. Um, but we saw how often people would come see us and they would leave their car running. And, and what you're saying to the people you're visiting is like, uh, I, I need a little bit of time, but I can't stay long. You're not as important as the next thing I've got to go to. And uh, so I, I became really cynical. I started gathering. That's why I put this in the book, because I started noticing the way we are. And, and even when I passed it, I found myself being like this sometimes. But I, I try to be real intentional. Uh, when you visit someone, try, try taking your jacket off and lay it on the couch and see, see what it does to the person that you're visiting. 
because you're communicating that, hey, I'm, I'm in no rush. I'm going to sit here and, and visit with you. Um, yeah, twirling the keys in a car is, is a really bad habit that people have, you know, um, <laughs> or leaving your door open, your lights on in the car, you know, stuff like that. Uh, posture is really important, too, you know, when you're looking at people uh, f- facing them, square shoulders, you know, and again, if you look at Europeans interacting with each other, they're in a, a pro- very uncomfortable proximics to each other. It's like there's like a foot between the faces as you're talking. And if you do that to an American, they start backing off because they're mm-hmm. really uncomfortable with that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we also we angle our shoulder as, as a way of, of uh, conveying that we're going to slip out of this conversation as soon as there's a there's a convenient time. And uh, but if you're squared shoulder facing someone making eye contact, you're you're saying, I'm here as long as you need me. And uh, and I tried practicing that as a pastor that in the lobby, uh, you know, don't angle my shoulder, look, face them. People get uncomfortable with that because they're not used to it. Uh, So that'd be a great social experience experiment to try. Yeah, (laughs) that no, that's really helpful. Thank you for that, Mitch. Uh, one of the things that we believe as Christians, it's it's a strong conviction, is that all things work together for good. And, and one of the mm-hmm. things I always clarify as a pastor that not everything is good, but all things mm-hmm. work together for good. Romans eight twenty eight. So we believe that. And and maybe could you speak to some of the ways that you've grown through suffering and and through your loss the power of suffering, if you will. Could you speak to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, well, first, first a, a, an admission here. Um, I thought about this when I was preparing for this, whether to share this or not, but, but I will, because I think people need to understand uh, the long-term impact of loss, you know, particularly the loss of a child. Um, yeah, certainly I've grown. I, I would not be the person I am now. Um, but neither do I have that sense of joy that I had, you know, when I had my son with me. There's, there's, something, there's something that I lost mm-hmm. uh, with, with his death. And, and also keep in mind, my, my wife has had a long-term uh, disability because of, uh, you know, her brain tumor. She she cannot read or write. She's never really regained that. She's regained some. I mean, she's functional with it uh, and, and cognitively struggles with, with a lot of stuff. And, and so that's a, that's a heavy thing. You know, we're, we're going to be married 40 years next week. And um, I tell her all the time, I, man, I'm so glad I married you. And I love her. She's so beautiful still. And yeah, uh, always will be. And, uh, but I think it's okay to admit that, hey, I don't have that lightness in my step. And I wake up in the, in the morning heavy, uh, you know, just because life has been hard. And, and, and so I wanted to put that out. But also, uh, that has increased my longing for heaven. The, the more we're dissatisfied here, we're trying, to, we're trying to talk, we're trying to make people happy here a lot in our preaching. We're trying, we want people to be satisfied here. I say, I think we need preaching that reminds us that, that we're not satisfied here, that this is, this is hard. And, and so the more heavy things are for me, I mean, I love life. I love what I'm doing. I love my family. 
Um, I, I, I love cracking jokes. I'm, I'm all, I'll be remembered for my puns, uh, you know, dad jokes, that sort of thing. Um, but man, I, I long for heaven more than anything. And then secondly, uh, what matters to me most more than anything is the gospel. And I don't want to waste my time. I, I love talking about the gospel with my kids, with people that I know. Um, I want to have every opportunity I can to share the gospel with people. Um, but, it, but I'm tired, you know, I'm, I'm tired, but that's okay because it makes me long for, for heaven even more. Amen. If that makes any sense. You can add it all of that out if you don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, just one of the just kidding. That... Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you're the editor, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good things... point. <laughs> that you and I, we, we sometimes do is we can be critical of the American church and it's mm-hmm. easy to be critical of the American church. We, we see it and we recognize some things or a lot of things are not right. Where do we need to improve uh, kind of more in a, in a broader general sense? How can the, the American church improve in terms of grief ministry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was trying to come up with things, but I'll tell you, I I want to commend the church because I I think we do, we do really well when people are hurting. Um, I mean, I think social media has helped a lot. I, you know, when people are suffering financially or they've had a tragedy, you see these GoFundMe pages go up and, and the support people get is just unbelievable. Um, and in, you know, the churches I've pastored in 34 some years, I mean, people are always so good at, at reaching out to people who are experiencing loss. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a lot of critical stuff to say. I, I mean, we live in a neighborhood good. of about 30 homes and, uh, man, when someone is hurting, uh, and not everybody's a believer, I mean, people are bringing meals to each other. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like our world is seeing suffering in a, in a new way. And again, maybe it is social media. Maybe it's that we're a, we're more of a global community. We're seeing tragedies in the world far more, you know? Um, uh, but yeah, it, you know, at Father's Day and Mother's Day, every church I go to, uh, the pastor will say, you know, hey, happy Father's Day, happy, happy Mother's Day. But I know there's some of you here who've lost a father, who've lost a mother, or there's a mother here who's lost the child. That's, that's good stuff. That's good ministry. You know, Um, maybe where we can get better is, is just more in the spontaneous, you know, just dropping by. I think our programs are good in helping, helping people grieve. You know, we have, we have great classes in churches and, you know, people can come get support. Um, So grief share ministry. Yeah. it is. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think maybe we need to preach on death more mm-hmm. and, and prepare people. We need to preach on how to, how to comfort during grief. And maybe we need a, a better theology in this. Yeah. Um, but I, I know, I know practically, I think people do quite well. That's just been my experience. Good, good. Yeah. Actually there's a dear brother in our church uh, within the last seven months, he's lost his wife. She had a year-long battle with cancer. Uh, 
mm-hmm. a little over a year. But during that time, mm. they received over 400 cards. Um, not just wow. maybe the majority mm. might have been from our church, but they're, they're, they were well-loved. Mm-hmm. She was very well-loved in the community. Yeah. And so yeah. that was what an encouragement. Um, obviously for yeah. them, but also for, for me to, to, to kind of see that type of outpouring of love. Yeah. Yeah. And tell those stories, you know, the, the, tell those stories in church. I think it's really, really important. Um, you know, when Travis died, people gave a lot of gifts and money to us. And, and a lot of that I put aside for my two other kids college and it about paid for their college. You know, my daughter went to Tacoma Falls. My son went to Liberty, which is really expensive. Wow. Uh, but we had we had sixty, seventy thousand dollars that uh, had been given to us during that time that uh, I put aside for them, you know, for for. So it's almost in, in honor of Travis that I was yeah. able to help my other two kids out. So, wow. Here's the last question. Um, so, again, I want to recommend your book. Did I say the right thing? Um, published by, what, remind me the publisher again, Regular Baptist. Well, it, yeah, it's Regular Baptist. It's actually going to change in a couple of months. There's another publisher that's going to be taking it up, uh, but it's available through Regular Baptist Press right now. And, yeah. and the Amazon, I think. I think you can get it through Amazon too. Yes. Uh, is there any other uh, recommendations you would give, any resources uh, that, that you would commend to us? Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I looked at the books I used as a resource in my booklet. Uh, uh, Joe Bailey, The Last Things We Talk About. Uh, Ronald Dunn, he was a Baptist pastor. His son committed suicide. He, he, calls a, he, he wrote a book called When Heaven is Silent. Uh, C.S. Lewis and Grief Observed is, is a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably my favorite, this was given to me when right after Travis died, Gerald Sitster uh, his book, A Grace Disguised, uh, he, he lost his uh, wife, mother, and daughter in one car accident. And um, I actually interviewed him for my podcast so that if you scroll through the podcast, you'll see my interview with him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those would be those would be great resources. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's super helpful. Uh, Mitch, this has been so much fun. Thank you for uh, your wisdom and, and your insight and your transparency. Uh, just love it. Um, and, and really, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And my favorite, mm-hmm. my absolute favorite quote from the book, uh, you write, my hope is that Jesus alone will become the focus and direction of your ministry and that the ones you minister to will find their greatest strength, not in you, but in Jesus himself. I think that says mm-hmm. it all. It's all about Jesus. He is sufficient uh, for everything. Mm-hmm. So thank you for your time. Really, really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you, Daniel. Again, you did a, you do a great job and I'm looking forward to partnering with you more and doing these podcasts. So thank you. Absolutely. Uh, let me leave you with a, a word from scripture. A great reminder from 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Uh, So I'm your host for today, your guest host, Daniel Stegman. Uh, Thanks for joining us and have a great rest of your day.